Father, we pray that your word may be our rule, your spirit may be our teacher, and your glory may be our supreme concern this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples this, Let not your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. Jesus promised apostles and Christians that he will return and bring us into his kingdom. What Jesus is doing for his people can be likened to a search and rescue operation, where people are rescued out of danger and brought into safety. Search and rescue operations as we know it today are vulnerable to various kinds of complications. Whether you eventually reach safety depends on a number of different factors, for you can encounter all kinds of obstacles along the way. Jesus knew that days will come when, faced with complications, his disciple hearts will be troubled. They will question if their, if life, if their life is really safe in his hands. They will doubt if he could deliver what he promised. They will wonder if they should continue following him. Jesus told us Christians that he will come again and take us to himself, that where he is, you and I, may also be. He promises that. It is 2016 this year, and Jesus hasn't come back. We haven't arrived in the perfect kingdom that he promised. I don't know how long you have been following Christ. This is my 16th year. Haven't there been times in your life where you wonder if you should continue to follow Jesus? especially when there are complications in the journey during the wait. Ever wonder if there will really be glory in the end? Suffering, then glory, really? Numbers 13 and 14 is nested within a simple plot that began all the way from Exodus 1. That is, God of Israel promised to bring suffering Israel out of Egypt into the land he promised their forefathers. A simple plot with a simple goal, to bring God's people into the land that God promised. And the story so far has been like a search and rescue operation with various kinds of complications along the way. There was opposition from a very powerful Egyptian king. There was a huge barrier, that is the Red Sea. And there was hunger and thirst in a very hostile desert. In the book of Numbers, this journey to the promised land continues. In chapters 1 to 10 that we've been looking at in the past few weeks, we saw God preparing his people to enter the promised land. Today, in Numbers 13 and 14, we will see further complications, even more obstacles that might derail, that might jeopardize God's plan. Now, in the opening verses, we have a quick progress update, a summary on where Israel is at with regard to the entering the promised land so far. 
chapter 13, verse 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send man to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Verse 2, 3, So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord. Verse 21, So they went and spied out the land. They went up to Negev and came to Hebron. Well, this is a very significant moment in the history of Israel because Israel is at the very verge of entering the land, the land that God promised the ancestor, the land that they have been preparing to take over for the last 10 chapters. And now God is sending them to take a look, just to have a foretaste, a dip of their foot into the waters before they plunge in. And all the tribes are being represented to have a look. Well, at the beginning, everything seems to be well. God gave the command the people follow, reminiscent of what we have been seeing in Numbers 1 to 10. The entry into the promised land seemed well underway. But soon, complications seep in when the spies return after 40 days. They came back with a report of what they saw. And Houston, we have a problem. There are obstacles. There are complications. Promised land is a no-go. Why? What happened? We shall see today. But as we go through this episode together, we will first see and view this drama and its complications through the eyes, through the perspective of Israel. And then we will have a look at it from God's perspective. So firstly, from Israel's perspective, the spies came back with a report, and it says this, 13, verse 27. Take a look. 13, 27. And they told Moses, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this, this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and large, very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negebs. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. So what is the issue? What is the complication? Well, basically, the existing inhabitants are no pushovers. They are people you don't want to mess with. This land is not a small kampong, but it's a full-blown developed city with state-of-the-art defense system. The Anakims are renowned warriors during that time. Can you imagine Smack as a congregation marching into Johor, right up to the steps of Istana Besar, the royal palace of the Sultan of Johor, the most powerful man in Malaysia, asking his state to be given over to Smack? And not only are the Anakims there, other nations are there as well. Amalekites, Jebusites, Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites. So it's more like marching into an area where Washington and Beijing and Moscow coexist and Smack tells them all to get lost. <laughs> now, many of us would be quick to judge the Israelites. But let's first hear them out. Put ourselves in their shoes facing the complication they were facing making it real. How would we have responded if it were us? 
besides a very powerful enemy, the Israelites had another issue at hand. They seemed to have naive and gullible leaders. In the face of a clear intelligence from the spies, Caleb seemed stubbornly blind. Verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. The jaws of all the other spies probably just dropped on the floor. They could not tolerate Caleb's naivety, and they stood up to rebut him immediately. Verse 31, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land and that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anna, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. Can you hear the argument, their reasoning and their logic? The odds are clearly, plainly, obviously against the Israelites. They saw it with their own eyes. The Nephilims are literally, truly taller, bulkier, and stronger. The Israelites are like grasshoppers compared to them. Let me ask you now, if I can get our Caleb, Caleb Raj to stand up and Sam Durasing to stand up, <laughs> do you honestly think that Caleb, our Caleb, would ever take on Sam Durasing <laughs> in his right state of mind? He can fantasize about it, but it is a no-brainer, isn't it? So I imagine the spies must have sighed with a great relief when the congregation was convinced by them. They see themselves as heroes having saved a generation of Israelites from being brutally slaughtered. Chapter, four, chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they say to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb then stood up, asking the people not to fear their enemies. Not to fear their enemies. Let's think about that. Give me a second. Is it not right to fear massacre and bloodbath? Is it not right to fear for the lives of their wives and children? Isn't living as slaves in Egypt better off? Isn't it right to take matters into your own hands? And so, verse 10, all the congregations said to stone them with a stone. Now, many of us 
are very familiar with this, pas this passage. And we are quick to distance ourselves from the Israelites. We know that they are the bad guys. But let's pause and think. Can you not identify the Israelites? Wouldn't you have feared when complications arise? Wouldn't you have taken matters into your own hands? Wouldn't you have lived by what you see? And don't you do that today still? I think the truth is we are all like the Israelites. We will now turn to take a look at the episode from God's perspective. By doing so, we will dig even deeper into the heart of the Israelites. Is their issue really fear? Is the complication that is stopping them from entering the promised land really strong enemies? We will see God's diagnosis of the Israelites, and when we do see the Israelites truly, we will be surprised to see how much like them you and I are. In verse 11, we see God's analysis of the Israelites. Verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? How long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? This is a fairly short rebuke from the Lord but a very sharp and a very accurate one. In a nutshell, the Israelites were despising God, treating Him with contempt. They do not trust Him. They do not believe in Him. Think about the spies' report with me for a little while. What did it say? Well, it just reported two things that the spies saw. The land is good and the inhabitants were strong. That's it. Now let me ask you, is there anything in the report that should surprise Israel? Is there anything that would complicate their entrance into the land? No. Firstly, right in the beginning when God heard Israel's cry back in Egypt, God said, I know your sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the others. God already stated that the land promised to them was a good land, and it must be obtained by conquest. There are inhabitants in the land to be driven out. And that's exactly what the spies saw, isn't it? Secondly, not only did God promise them the land, God promised to be with them in the battle of the land. He will protect them and fight for them. When they fled, when they fled Egypt, God said to Moses, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Egyptians you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. And God was truly with them in fighting of the Egyptians, the pillar of clouds by day and the pillar of fire by night. And in Numbers, we have seen in the first 10 chapters, throughout the military campaign, the preparation that God is right at the center of the camp. 
He's right at the center of his people. And that is why we saw in chapter 10, when they set out, Moses could say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And let those who hate you flee before you, because God is with them. And when God issued a mission to the spy, to spy out the land, he said, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Which I am giving to the people of Israel. So the plan has always been the same. God is the divine warrior who is fighting the battle for his people. So what should the Israelites have done with the report when they receive it? Well, nothing really. Everything is just as God has said. Nothing that warrants panic. Just listen to God and proceed as God has commanded. And be encouraged that things are going exactly the way that God has said. So we can see that Caleb was right. He said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. God is with us. He wasn't gullible. He wasn't naive. He saw the same enemies, the real enemies, that the spies saw. But he had the right theological perspective. He believed God and he trusted in God's word. He lived by faith and not by sight. And Joshua was right too. 14 verse 9, he said, Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. He chose to trust in the bare words of God's promise instead of having his vision limited by observable realities that is before them. Let's think about it. What do you think is at the heart of the Israelites' issue? What is really the problem? Well, God says that it is not merely fear. Underneath that fear is unbelief. Underneath that fear is unbelief. Ultimately, they do not trust or believe in God. They don't believe that He's good. They don't believe that He is powerful after all. Many people today say, if only God shows me a sign, I will believe. If only God does a miracle in my life, I would trust. They have too high a view of humanity. They underestimate humans' propensity to unbelief. God grieves over Israel. He says, how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I've done among them, the ten plagues, the Red Sea, the bread and the water, everything. How long would they not believe in me? Now, when we pursue Israel's unbelief further, we discover there is something more to the heart of Israelites. There are traces of this throughout the episode, but it is most clearly manifested in the last sin. So let us jump, now, jump to that now for a little while. Chapter 14, verse 39. Now, this happened after God killed the spies who brought the bad report to the people. Chapter 14, verse 39. When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, 
the people mourned greatly. And they rose in early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, We are here. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, Why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord, when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For they are... For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned your back from following the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites, who live in that hill country, came down and defeated them and pursued them, even to Homar. What happened? Here, the heart of Israel is exposed. Here, we see that the reverse side of their unbelief is self-belief. There are two sides of the same coin, unbelief and self-belief. The Israelites have an outward appearance of repentance. They mourn and they say that they have sinned, but at heart, they are still the master of their own life. They decide when to attack. They have no respect for God's messenger. They neither care about what God has said. They care not about his direction that he has given. Who is at the center of their campaign? It's not God. It's themselves. They just made it look pious. This is reflective of the attitudes throughout the whole episode. Self-belief, self-decision, self-reliance, self-resourced, self-strength, self-skill, completely independence from God. All this while, they have been trusting in themselves rather than in God to bring them into the good land. And that is why they fear because they are right. They can't do it. Now, can you not identify the Israelites? I can. God says, how long? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I'm a Cantonese, and Cantonese has a saying that goes like this. Lan lai fum xiong bak. Lan lai fum xiong bak. It means you can't leave sticky and stick mud on the wall. You can't leave and stick mud onto a wall. It keeps falling down. The proverb is used to describe certain people. No matter how hard you try to help them, no matter how many times you try, some people, like mud, simply can't and won't and refuse to change. You get frustrated helping them. At the heart of Numbers 13 and 14 is Israel's propensity to disobedience and unbelief. This in itself is actually not an issue, but it becomes an issue only because God of Israel is a faithful God who keeps the promises that he makes. So Israel is like a mud whom God keeps guiding and loving 
and she keeps disobeying and rebelling, keeps sliding off the wall like a mud again and again and again. Because she's just so determined to sin, so determined to self-rule and to self-preserve. So as the drama unfolds in these chapters, we will see, and we do see, the tension between God's faithfulness to His promises and Israel's propensity to disobedience and disbelief. I hope you realize by now that the real complication, the real obstacle jeopardizing Israel's entry to the Promised Land is not strong enemies, as the Israelites believe and claim. It's not. It is Israelites themselves. How can a holy and just God remain holy and just while keeping His promise to a bunch of wicked serial sinners? How? God must judge Israel for her apostasy, for her covenantal unfaithfulness, for her contempt. But what will become of His promise to bring them into the promised land if God does that? Well, God proposes a fresh start with Moses himself being the genesis of the new people. Chapter 14, verse 12, God says, I will strike them down with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you, Moses, a great a nation, greater and mightier than they. But Moses was quick to point out to God his concern for God's reputation and honor. It would look as if God wasn't powerful enough to bring his people into the land. Verse 15 says, Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. Moses acknowledges that God is powerful, and so he pleads that God's power and strength be demonstrated in the act of forgiveness. Verse 17, And now, Please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of these people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven these people from Egypt until now. Moses acknowledges God's deep commitment to his people. He also acknowledges God's freedom to do as he pleases. So he appeals to God's steadfast love, his very character. He's not arguing for the people's apostasies to be overlooked, but for God to be reconciled to them as a nation so that they may still enter the promised land. And what's God's response? Verse 20. And then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, and as the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness 
and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see that the land I sought to give to the fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. But my Caleb servant, my, Caleb, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I leave, declares the Lord, What you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Jephunel, and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you say would become a prey, I will bring in. They shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely these will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end, and they shall die. God says Israel will not be disinherited. But the present generation will perish in the wilderness because of their faithlessness. They receive punishment that is fit for their crimes. In so doing, God preserved the holiness of his character, his faithfulness to his promise, and his reputation among the nations. Israel will get to the promised land as God has promised, but only after they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Let me go back to where I started. Jesus told his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. It's 2016 this year, Jesus hasn't come back, and we haven't arrived in his perfect kingdom that he promised. What we have seen in Numbers 13 and 14 is God's stubborn faithfulness to his promises in the face of Israel's stubborn unfaithfulness. We have seen Israel's determination to sin matched by God's mercy 
and steadfast love. Can you identify with stubborn Israel? If yes, realize also that nothing on this earth, nothing at all, could save miserable, persistent, wicked sinners, such as Israel, such as us, except a faithful and loving God who persistently loved us, loved us even unto death. So powerful and so merciful is He that in the face of rejection and disobedience, He did not return blow for blow. Instead, He humbled Himself to become a man and die in our place, that He might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Him. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. The hands that flung stars in the sky to cruel nails surrendered. How powerful is that? So if you ask me today, will and can such a faithful and good and powerful God come back and bring me into His perfect kingdom? Should I persevere through complications and sufferings in life with confidence of future glory? Should I live by faith and not by sight? It's a no-brainer. Let's pray. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Dear God, we thank you for Jesus who made it to the promised land. He entered heaven on our behalf and now sits at your right hand. He has proved faithful. He died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, bringing us forgiveness. He is the way to the promised land of heaven. It is by trusting and following him that we will make it there. Thank you for being a good and faithful and loving and powerful God who will get us there. We pray for us all in smack that we will cling to Jesus in trust. In his name we pray. Amen.